Last week we launched the series and uh, we talked about this thing that everyone notices, but maybe we've never put our finger on what it's all about. Um, when somebody comes in the room, like if you're sitting in the living room and somebody walks in, there's, there's always this atmosphere that comes with them. Have you noticed that? Kind of like the, the Peanuts character, Pig Pen. Like you can, you can almost see the atmosphere around them. Sometimes it's a very positive atmosphere. Sometimes it can be a negative one. But so, there's this, this atmospheric pressure that each of us brings into relationships. And last week, Ben t- uh, taught us through 1 Corinthians 13, where, where God gets to the heart of what, what is it that creates a, per- a person's atmosphere. And it all came down to love. Um, not our feeling of love, not our definition, but God's kind of love. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast. You know, it, we went through that list. And I don't know about you, but the thing that got me most last week was love keeps no record of wrongs. I'm like, come on, God, did you have to throw that one in there? Um, but the, the, the kind of love God has sets the pressure, sets the atmosphere uh, for who you are. And so if there's one thing that defines us and defines our relationships, it's love. So what we're going to do for the remaining weeks is we're going to talk about how specifically love can affect different areas of life. And today we're talking about the way that love <clears throat> can impact our words. Um, so here's uh, just a few uh, details to share with you. I don't know who came up with this. I don't know whose research it was. I heard it was research, so I'm just assuming that the guy I heard it from is legit. And, and then I see there's some wisdom in it. So what I've heard is we spend 20% of our waking hours speaking or communicating with other people. 20% of our waking hours we spend speaking or communicating. So that could be speaking, it could be emailing, could be social media, and half of you are like, oh yeah, that's where the 20% fits in. Um, But uh, 20% of our hours, waking hours, spent communicating. So what does that mean? That means if you have one of those courtroom people with their little typewriters, you know that person, if if they're following you around all day, you're going to have 50 pages of a book by the end of a day. That means, also means at the end of a year, you're going to have 50 books, each of them about 180 pages long that you have published if someone is just recording all the things that you say on a daily basis. Now, I know that some of us are different. Sometimes I pick on men or women. I'm not going to do that. But some of you, you can come up with a novel by lunchtime. <laughs> and some of us, it takes like a month just to write a chapter. And so there's a little bit of a difference there, but just the general premise is we spend about 20% of our waking hours speaking or communicating. And the reason that's important, as we're going to see today, is because words matter. They matter so much. Words matter. Words have power. And I don't need to really tell you that because we've all experienced that. It doesn't take 20% of your waking hours to be impacted by someone's communication. All it takes is one sentence, and we've all felt that before. Again, I'm not picking on genders, but some of you from an early age, someone told you something about your appearance, and that stuck with you for a day, for a week, maybe even to this day. That one sentence, that one phrase has defined you as a person. Words have power. Um, I have two quick uh, stories from my life to share, because I like to share my stories, and you like to hear them. But the first one is from when I was in middle school. Um, for some reason, I totally just picked up the, the trombone, and that was my instrument through middle school and high school and, okay, even college a little bit, but not too much. But, um, so I was a trombone player in middle school, and the, th- the other thing about me in um, middle school and maybe even in life in general is when I get bored, like I, all I see is my little bubble, and I don't see what it's like on the other side of me. 
So that's a short or a long way of saying I do stupid things when I'm bored, and I have no idea I'm doing them. So in middle school band one day, I was sitting there bored out of my mind because he's working with the woodwinds or something, and I'm brass, and so I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And so I'm sitting there. What I was apparently doing inside my little bubble was I was pretending my hand was a gun, and I was just kind of shooting things around the room, you know, having fun. Well, the band director looked at me exactly when my gun happened to be pointed at him. <laughs> and I'm so thankful this happened 20-some years ago, 30-some years ago, and not today, because I'd probably be expelled if that happened today. But what, I'll never forget what happened. He looked at me, and he said, get in my office. So I, I'm shaking. I put my trombone down. Like I walk into his office, and he said a lot of things. I only remember one sentence. He said to me, you are nothing but a fly in my ointment. <laughs> you have no idea how hard it is for a seventh grader not to break out laughing when, when someone says you're a fly in my ointment. Who talks like that anymore? That's, I, I, so, so I was trying not to break up, but, but one thing that did stick with me is to him, I was not Matt. To him, I was not a trombone player. To him, I wasn't even in person. To him, I was a thing that he wished he could get rid of, but he couldn't. I was in his ointment. <laughs> so guess what that did for the atmosphere for me every time I went to band practice for the rest of that year? Uh, another story from high school. This time I was, playing, I was playing soccer all four years of high school. And then you football people, people, you're judging me right now. You're like, oh, you're one of those field you know, people. I played football too, so I did football and soccer, so there. But anyway, I was playing soccer. It was my senior year, about halfway through the season, and out of the blue, the coach, his name is John, uh, he, we're just, I can't remember what we were doing. I can't, can't even remember if it was a practice or a game, but he said, hey, Matt, I just, just want to let you know I've been looking into some colleges who might give you a, a soccer scholarship. I'm like, what? I, I didn't ask him to do that. I had no idea he was doing it, but he just sort of shared it with me, like, hey, just want to let you know, I think you got what it takes, so I'm going to see if there's maybe some colleges who'd be interested in offering you something. Guess what that one sentence did for me every time I stepped on the field from that day forward? You see, words matter. The first fill-in on your sheet, words shape your reality. Now, if you want to be really technical, words shape perception, but for so many of us, perception becomes reality, right? So words shape reality. This really shouldn't surprise us because when we open up God's storybook, day one, moment one of creation, what does he do? God said, let there be light. Let there be uh, dry land. Let there be plants. Let there be animals. Let us make man in our image. And when he said, let there be, it sh literally shaped reality. And on a much smaller scale, we as his creatures have this potential to shape someone's perspective with the words that we use. Words can shape reality. So I guess the question is, well, how is it that words have such power? And what if we've been shaped the wrong way? What if we're shaping someone else the wrong way? Well, as we, as we jump into um, an epistle, a letter written by James, the brother of Jesus in the first century, he's going to tell us and help us understand why words matter so much and how we can shape them better. And this is going to go through, if you think you know what we're talking about, you don't, because James, uh, the way that he takes this and, and the direction he takes this is completely unexpected um, as far as where we end up. So we're going to be in James chapter 3, if you're following along in your Bible, or if you have a Bible app, or if you just want to 
listen, we have it up here. So this is probably the easiest. So this is what James said, and this is going to offend some of the teachers in the room, but just hold with me. He says, not many of you should become teachers. My fellow believers, he's just talking to Christians. You shouldn't become teachers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Sorry, teachers. I need to explain that a little bit. First of all, I love you teachers. My kids love you. You do a great job. I don't know how you do it, but you're great. What James is saying here is not many of us should be teachers because our words, when we speak, our words should reflect reality. James says we all mess up. And so it's, like, it's impossible for our words to shape the reality that we live in. You know, we wish we could just say something and it would be true, but so often when we stand up and say something and teach something, our lives are just a big thing of hypocrisy and, and it's impossible to make the two match up. So James is saying words matter because words shape what you are going to be doing. And then in verse 2, he uses another kind of a teaching idea and it's, it might not make sense at first, but the good news is he uses a couple of illustrations to demonstrate it. He goes on to say, so not many should be teachers, Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. I, I, he says, well, I guess if we could find a person who is never at fault in what they say, they're going to be perfect. They're going to be able to keep their whole body in check. Because if I can stand up and just speak perfectly according to reality, it's all going to fit. But James is saying that person doesn't really exist. We can't all speak truthfully, and we can't control the whole body. And he's going to illustrate that in case you can't understand it, because if I were you, I wouldn't understand it yet either. Um, I didn't. So uh, verse 3 helps us to figure out this connection. He goes on. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. A five-pound bit in the mouth of a horse, and you can control the whole 1,000 pounds of horse. You don't just control the mouth, you control the animal. I don't need to explain anymore. We, we get it. Uh, verse 4. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and they're driven by strong winds, so many forces at play, they are steered by a very small rudder. That's how the Greek says it. Very small rudder. Wherever the pilot wants to go. This entire ship, so many forces, and yet it's just one small piece that steers the whole thing. Well, here's his point. Verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Um, words matter because, first of all, words matter for what we say for ourselves. It, it, your words impact yourself. That word boast, I, I think a blueprint. Like the, the mouth makes great boasts. Well, the mouth is putting down a great blueprint. Uh, boasts mean, well, I can do this, I can do that, this is what I can do. And so you're putting down a blueprint of what you can do. And, and after a boast, people just kind of step back and say, oh, that's a pretty good blueprint. Can you build it? And a lot of times our mouths get us into trouble because what we say does not match up with reality, no matter how much we try to shape it. So here's the first takeaway from James today. This isn't on your sheet. This is just extra credit, like bonus content. Um, so, so the first thing is you need to be careful with your words. Words matter because your words shape your life. What you tell yourself, what you tell others about you, shapes the direction that you intend to go. Uh, so, so beyond yourself, though, there's some other things that James wants to warn us about when it comes to the words we, pre or words we use. He says, consider what a great forest 
is set on fire by a small spark. I need to pause there because something kind of came to mind this week. Smokey the bear meditated on James 3. Like he understood this. A great fire can be set all ablaze because of one tiny spark. Only you can prevent forest fires. So he says, okay, he's going to take this analogy and he's really going to like double down and triple down and quadruple down on this point that he's making because this is important. He says the tongue also is a fire. Your tongue is a fire. Your tongue, get this, is a world of evil among the parts of the body. Your tongue corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole body off course. It sets the whole course of one's life, and it sets it on fire. Your tongue itself is on fire by hell. So what does James think about your words? <laughs> now, now, here's the thing. James is focusing on one element to it, one, one um, aspect to it, and this is something that all of us need to apply to ourselves. This isn't just... The, the bad person down the street. This isn't Joe Pagan uh, who sacrifices, you know, whatever. This is believers that James is speaking to. He's talking to brothers and sisters in the church. He says, guys, your tongue is on fire. On fire, set, set on fire by hell. And so here's kind of what, a way to understand that. Uh, when you were born, let me start this way. I knew a, a woman once, and we were kind of going through basic Bible stuff, and, and I was telling her, yeah, we're all sinful from birth, and she was like, well, n babies aren't sinful, and she was actually a mom, and, and so I was like, okay, that's cool, babies aren't sinful, so when did you teach your kids how to lie? And she's like, oh, <laughs> she's like, all right, maybe you got me on that one. Um, the thing is, all of us, when we're born, we're born with our pilot light lit, like, we're all born with this ability to destroy things with our words. That's just the way we were born. Our, our tongues were already set on fire. The pilot light was already lit. And some of you um, have experienced this in your life. Just as you think through this, do a quick Google search in your, in your mind. Don't say, okay, Google or Siri, but this is just mental. Just search for all the, the instances of the phrase, all I said was. Well, all I said was her cooking reminds me of her mother's cooking. And she just exploded. All I said was it would be nice if the bathroom was clean today. She just erupted. All I said was it would be nice to spend some time with him this evening. And he just got all crazy and went into his man cave. You know, there's, there's these instances in life, and maybe you don't say it out loud, but you're just kind of thinking it like, wow, all I said was, and he just, well, here's what James is, is uh, teaching us here. See, all I said was, just a match. And then he just, forest fire. <laughs> all I said was, match. She just, forest fire. There, there was this, this big effect, this huge fire started by one little thing. Well, you know why that's able to happen? Because we were born with the pilot light already lit. Words matter. They have great power to do harm. And, and that's just, it gets deeper. You're like, wow, this is deep. No, it gets deeper than this. James is going to keep digging, and there's some bigger issues that we need to figure out. He says, different picture. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed. We've, we've uh, and have been tamed by mankind. He says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Like, he just won't let this thing go, right? He's like totally attacking the tongue. 
and the other body parts are like, this is cool, you know, <laughs> destroy the tongue, we're, we're not that bad. If you go to the zoo, up the road here a little bit, you're going to see all sorts of animals, because mankind is awesome, right? We can, we can capture these awesome animals and creatures, and we can tame them. Um, some people can even put their head inside a lion's mouth, and you know, we've totally tamed these creatures. You know what you're never going to see in a zoo? A mouth. You'll never see a human's mouth behind cages in the zoo because, as James says, we're just not able to tame the tongue. It's completely untamable. You can't stop it. Like, you can't just try to reprogram it a little bit or, or uh, direct its course. It is completely wild. But you might ask, well, why? And he's going to get there in a minute. Uh, but first, he changes up a little bit. Uh, next verse. He says, with the tongue... We praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings. I'll let you read the rest. He's saying, well, you can sit there in church and say, oh, God is love, God is great, God, we praise you, we honor you, we bless you, God loves us, he is love, he sent his son, this is awesome. We can sit in church and just sing his praises, and then we get in the car and we demean our spouse. Well, when are you going to do that project? Uh, we get home and we make the fit kids feel horrible because they're not measuring up to what we want. We go to work and we gossip about that person over there because they're not as good as us. They shouldn't be at this job. You see, we go out and we curse the people who were originally created in the image of the God whom we praise. The, James says that shouldn't be. That's impossible. This, this doesn't make sense that you can use your tongue for two completely different things. So we're, we're going to pause right there for a minute. He's going to get to the heart of the issue in just a second, but first I need you to think about something, because here's where I needed to think about something. You see, if somebody were following you all day long with that weird little typewriter that, I don't know how it works, but you know, they're typing everything out and your story is being told, here's the question I want you to think about for, for number two here. What story do your words tell? If someone were reading it, Next week, next year, what story would your words be telling? Every single word spoken or communicated to someone, what story does it tell? Now here's where I start adding some footnotes to my story. Well, that sentence over there in chapter 3, or maybe it's all of chapter 7, See, there's a footnote for that one because I was really tired that day and I was just frustrated and so I said some things I didn't mean. So, okay, footnote that maybe we'll put that chapter in the appendix like, you know, nobody looks in the appendix. Or maybe it's the prologue. Nobody reads that, right? Or, or maybe there's this, this part in the story where we're like, well, you know what? I had one too many drinks and I just talked, talked, talked too much and you know what? I just said some things I didn't mean. Or... You look at a, a part in life and you say, you know what, things were just going so bad in my life. I was just such a victim. I, I was entitled to say some things and just get them out and say them. So you can't hold me for that. You see, what we do is we often put the blame on this filter. Like my filter wasn't working right. My filter was a little off that day. And I just didn't catch everything. But before you do that, you need to hear what James says next. The story you tell, it's not about controlling your filter. It's about something so much deeper than that. This is what he goes on to say. The last, last uh, verse here. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? 
No. My brothers and sisters, he's getting their attention. He's like, come on, come on. Brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or can a grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. What's he saying here? He's saying, look, you can't just filter out something to make something else. The problem is much deeper than the filter. The problem goes down to the heart. Um, a quick, quick uh, illustration with that. Any car guys here, like you can at least change the oil in a car? You can do that. And I know some of you guys are like, I'm a guy. I'm not going to raise my hand for you. I'm, and some of you are just like that. There may be some ladies. Some ladies can raise their hands. That's fine too. There we go. Cool. Don't mean to, anyway. So, so here's a quick story for you. So um, in one of the jobs I had going through seminary, there was a woman there and she told me the story of her first car. She said, for, she set up the story saying, my dad in high school and college, he always took care of the car maintenance for me so she never had to worry about a thing. Then she moved out, got her own car, and she said about a year later, the car started sounding funny and it froze up and she couldn't start it. So she towed it to the mechanic. The mechanic looked at it and they go to her and they say, ma'am, when's the last time you changed the oil in this vehicle? She said, what's oil? She had driven that thing for over a year, never changing the oil, and it, had, it actually solidified, sludged up in her engine to the point where they had to total it. Um, the point is this. Some of us, you know, when the oil's starting to get a little old, we might just, and here's where you need to be kind of a car mechanic guy, but when you change the oil, there's also a filter that needs to go along with it. And some of us might think, well, okay, the oil's a little bad. I'm just going to change the filter. I'm just going to change the filter. That should fix everything, right? Well, if you're a car person, does that fix it? It just destroys a filter. See, it, it's not about changing the filter. You need to really address the mess inside. Fill in number three. Forget the filter when it comes to the words you speak. We need to address the mess. Forget the filter. Forget the filter. Um, so filter goes like this. If, <laughs> if, um, if I say, yeah, you know what? Um, I had, had one too many drinks, and I said some things I shouldn't have. You know, fixing the filter basically says, well, I'm not going to drink that much anymore. There, you fix the filter. It's all good. Or if um, maybe you know that you're going to be crabby when you're tired, um, and, I, and I've heard, um, you know, people actually line up their schedule so that if they know they've got a lot of meetings, they're not going to be in front of people <laughs> after that because they know they're going to be crabby. You see, fixing the filter just means I'm going to stay away from people. There, I fixed it. I fixed it. And what James said is, no, this goes much deeper than your filter. Forget the filter. We need to change the oil. We need to address the mess. And that sounds great, but you're like, okay, well, what does that mean, and how do we do that? Well, I'm going to have some homework for you this week, and uh, this is going to come up next on your sheet. I know all of you are going to stop at two, and you're going to say, nope, not going to do it. And I'm going to tell you why in just a second. Here's your homework for the week. Number one, can you confess it to God when, you, you have a, <laughs> when the story you're telling is manipulative, and when the words you share are shaping someone's life for the worse, can, can you confess that to God? And when you do, don't say, oh God, I'm sorry, I, I was tired that day. I'm sorry that I had one too many drinks. You, don't confess the filter. Confess the heart from where it came. As Jesus said, um, what comes out of the mouth is simply what is stored up in your heart. And so this isn't a confessing the filter that kept it in. This is confessing the heart where it came out of. Uh, Father, my heart is empty. It's broken. It's sick. I need you to heal it. Forget the filter. 
go after the mess. Number two, you're not going to do this. You don't want to do this. Right? Some of you are like, I'm not going to write that on my sheet. No way. <laughs> apologize to others. You know why it's so hard to apologize? Is because you still have your filter in. Your heart does not want to show how ugly and, and rotten it is, and so the filter is going to stop any apology from coming out. And so you have to say, okay, God, I know you've addressed the heart. Help me remove the filter so that I can go to that person and say, I am sorry that my words shaped your life for the worse. I'm sorry that my words shaped your reality in a way that you're still trying to figure things out. I apologize for that. See, when your filter's out of the way, you can confess what's from your heart. And here's the third thing. This is important. Make a choice. Uh, fill in number four kind of fills in what I mean by that. Choose whose words will tell the story. You see, I could listen to that band teacher in, in middle school, and he could, you know, convince me that in some mystical way I'm a fly in his ointment, and, you know, I could be defined by that. Or I could listen to the voice, the words of God, who says, Matt, you're loved. You are not a fly. You are a loved human being whom I died for. Uh, you could go around and you can listen to the kids at school or the people at work who say, you don't belong here. Who are you? You're weird. You're an outcast. You can let their words tell your story or you could let God's words tell your story. And his words go like this. I'm creating a room for you in heaven because I want you to belong with me forever. You could listen to your own words and you could let your own self-made words, you can have a... <laughs> It could be an autobiography telling your own story. Or you could listen to the voice of him who, who predicted his own death and resurrection, and then he came back to life and says to you, you're mine. You have been bought at a price. Now honor me, love me with all you have. So you get to choose whose words tell the story. And the amazing thing is once you let God's words tell your story, your words will spread his story to someone else. Your words matter. Your words will shape someone's reality. Let your words be guided by the words of God. Next week, we're going to pick it up as I think, uh, we're going to work this out, I think, but uh, I think we're going to talk about forgiveness next week. We kind of got things uh, mixed around, um, but we're going to talk more about the atmosphere in our lives, uh, the way that they're guided by the love of God. Um, for now, we're going to close with a prayer. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, <clears throat> when it comes to this topic, it's really easy for me to stand up here and share the right words and to say the right things. What's hard for me, and I think what's hard for most of us, is to leave this building, or go sit in the car, or go home, or go to work, and actually have these things applied to us. So Father, the, I guess the one thing I ask for me and for all of us this week is you would at least have us notice this filter that we so often point to. Uh, help us to see that the filter isn't the problem, that the problem is deeper than that, and that the problem was solved when your son redeemed our hearts with his life, death, and resurrection. So help us with our words to honor one another as we seek to honor you with all we are. I ask that in Jesus' name as we join in the prayer he taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.